Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of the Ball Five podcast. One of the many baseball podcasts I'd probably say that struck out recently in getting Taylor Swift tickets. Uh, my name is DJ Lopes. I'm one of your hosts, and joined alongside me is Christopher Lopes. I think all the other ones got them. I I know that Tipping Pitches was talking about having them. I don't know if batting around went for them or anything, but I know that Tipping Pitches got them. I'll have to do some looking around, scoping around all of my many, many podcast, uh, baseball podcast connections that I clearly have, uh, which is why we've done so well early on. Um, but yeah. I know I know they got it because Tipping Pitches posted the meme of Jimmy Butler <laughs> after <laughs> the game in the, in the fi- not the finals, but... It was oh, the wait, finals, was it? yeah, it was the it finals. It was the finals, It was yeah. the bubble finals. Uh, I, okay, I didn't know if it was against the Celtics or if it was a or if it was the bubble finals, but where he's like against the uh, against the scores table or something. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird because like, and not to make it sound like I, this is going to sound way more pretentious than I mean it to be, but like I've never been like, uh, let's get concert tickets for this person fan like level of fan for any major artist. That would go over, that would have something like this happen to them. Like, for instance, I'm a big Carly Rae Jepsen fan. And recently I went to go see Carly Rae Jepsen in concert. Um, I, I talked about the tickets with our sister. And then she got them for me for my birthday. But it took like three weeks. And I she did have to buy them off of resale. But like, she probably could have found them on the website still for the, <laughs> for the venue. Like weeks after it was announced, weeks after she... Uh, we talked about buying them and that's just like literally not something you could even imagine this happening for. Like we were, you were in the pre-sale of like right when it launched and you were what, like 17,000 from the line. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm bitter. Um, no. Yeah. It was, it was insane. It was a shit show. Um, the only, the only band that I think I've ever, um, I've, tried to do this for and well we didn't even really try was phoebe bridgers but i remember that because i know that it was as difficult for phoebe um well maybe taylor was a little bit more difficult than phoebe's original tour um but what i do know was that uh it was one of those like kind of right out of covid very large shows and i was like a little apprehensive to buy tickets for it so i didn't buy tickets but yeah, but the thing is, is that the thing is, is that I feel like we're we're veterans of the of the pre-sale getting in and getting your tickets game because we were on the front lines of war in the great PS5 battle of 2020. And yeah. we we followed all the steps. And I feel like we executed that as well as we could have for, for Taylor Swift, the same same strategy and stuff like that. We maybe didn't have tweet notifications on for every pre-sale announcement. <laughs> like it did PS5s, but I don't know. It was tough, and I guess we may never get to see Taylor Swift again, which I, I, I'm i not, I guess, too upset about that. I only recently started getting into her music. I think it's great, but uh, I was mainly trying to go for Phoebe Bridgers there. Uh, but regardless about trying to get into shows and trying to get through pre-sales, we have much more to talk about. Actually, probably not much more. This is kind of a light <laughs> stage in the off season where one thing I've noticed and it's something that is consistent about baseball is that the early stages of the offseason are very, very slow. This isn't basketball where 
you know pretty much three weeks before the season even ends that this team has been talking with this guy and that they're going to sign him. And then basically you wonder why all of these deals are already in place with all of the details about them five minutes after free agency started. Baseball free agency isn't like that. I got a little scared when I was editing the the free agency preview pod last week that I was going to upload it and it was not going to have anything like it wasn't going to have any relevance because a lot of big uh, dominoes were going to fall. But it, I forgot. It just doesn't happen like that in baseball. It may, it, we probably won't see any of these top guys sign for like another maybe two weeks. Yeah, I think it. what it really sounds like is I think that um, Nimmo is going to be the first domino to fall. And maybe it's I've only heard so much news about Nimmo because we are Mets fans and that's kind of in the stratus on Twitter and stuff like that. Well, for how long or however long we have it. Um but um, but I've I've heard like a lot of grumblings of Nimmo getting a lot of conversation and talk now. But you're right; it just doesn't happen like that in baseball. You know, they 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 get the opportunity to let it simmer and let their markets build a little bit more. Yeah, and I I feel like there are also I guess more teams that can be involved uh, in free agency with the lack of a salary cap. Uh, you know, there there are more people that conceptually would be available to spend and would be able to fit, available to take meetings um, with people. But uh, regardless, so there hasn't been much transaction news, although we'll get to a little bit down the line. But there has been, I believe at this point, all of the major awards announced, including Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, and lastly, MVP. Now, I think it's kind of weird that they all that they have this like weird schedule for everything where it's like every day they announce an award. It, the show starts at like eight p.m., but you don't hear about it until like an hour later. And it's it's weird to have the same kind of show that you would for Manager of the Year for MVP when you could just you know get them all done in one day. It, it, I don't know. It just feels weird to me. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's like a hype train thing that it's just like woo manager of the year like i don't know and And especially especially when like you mostly know who's gonna get the awards too so it's not even like a hype thing it's just like a finally (laughs) and another thing that i've thought about recently um that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense to me and i found really funny is that like I like the idea of having finalists for for these awards because it's not like these people were decided and then they're going to vote again. Like, there's not really a finalist for it because when they announce the finalists, they already know who won. They're just counting. They're just taking the people that got the top three votes uh, and putting them together. So it feels like a lot of really manufactured hype for something that doesn't necessarily, I guess, have to be that, uh, that, I guess, manufactured. But... So we're not necessarily going to do a ton of discourse on the um, on the awards themselves. We'll talk a little bit about them, but we'll also mainly what we're going to do is we're going to pick our favorite vote off of each ballot, because I think one of my favorite things about award season is the down ballot votes, the votes that don't really matter, but you have a chance to like, you know, hype up your one guy. Or if you were on a bat, if you were covering a bad team, but they had a really good player, you have a chance to shine some light on that person. And then all of a sudden, you look down later on the year, and oh my goodness, Ryan Tapera has an MVP vote. Uh, so I think those are really fun. 
So we'll first get started with manager of the year. And I think that this one actually is weird because like it's it's hard to really measure how good a manager is in the season. A lot of the in-game decisions are now not even made by managers. And at this point, I feel like on a macro level, they don't really do a lot to like truly impact winning. So, but I do feel like you could have had arguments for any of these guys that finished in the top three for both leagues. But we'll start with uh, the AL. There was Terry Francona, who finished first for the Cleveland Guardians, followed by Brandon Hyde for the Orioles and Scott Service of the Mariners. Now, I I appreciate Terry winning this because he was a great manager for a team that didn't really have a lot of buzz heading into the season. Um, you know, a team that didn't really have a lot of hype heading into the season. It was kind of believed that the White Sox were going to run away with the division at that point. But he took a young team and really got all the talent that he could out of it. Uh, however, I did kind of want to see Brandon Hyde win it because of the job that he did with just a team that... The Guardians should not have gotten as far as they did, just looking at it on paper. But you can see the skeleton of how they did it. You could see they have two superstars, uh, basically, in, in Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. You know, they have generally good pitching every year. They have some young prospects like Andre Jimenez. You could see the bones of how they were able to put it get together. I am still trying to find the bones of how the Baltimore Orioles put this season together. Like, I know they had a great bullpen. I know they had Adley Rushman Rushman come up and crush, which we'll talk about him later. But I still do not fully understand the type of stuff they were able to do. Like, get productive seasons out of guys like Dean Kremer and Austin Voth and people like that. So that I would have given Brandon Hyde a bit more props for. And maybe not this much of a point differential in the first to second place. I probably would have given my vote to Brandon Hyde. Yeah, um, I I I agree with that. You know, I agree with that whole assessment. I I think there's not much like controversy with this one. Um, what I do find interesting with the Baltimore piece is that, and I don't know how much can even be made of this, but it's in the AL East too. You know, um, so that I feel like that has to go for something because. The AL Central is kind of just a crap show. Um, yeah. So, so knowing that you know Brandon Hyde was able to do whatever he did with Baltimore, you know, against AL East teams, which has you know three considerable superstars and uh, Boston, I guess. <laughs> um, but you know that had had very good teams in in the AL East. Um, three teams made the playoffs, so. I don't know. It's just uh, just a lot for that. What I do want to bring up, because I do find it funny, my my guy for this one um, that I think is a funny vote is uh, Aaron Boone getting four votes. <laughs> because it's just funny to me because like it looks like like he got four points. So it's like, why even bother? And then on the other hand, I've never seen a manager like wasn't he on the hot seat for a lot of the season for no he reason? Probably should. have. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. This is the first time I've ever agreed with Yankees fans in like their assessment to want to fire a manager because a lot of it, a lot of it, especially their woes in the playoffs, did seem to go with him being a little too stringent on sticking to his guys that were not performing rather than giving the young guys a shot. So I think that that one's a funny one and that I, I earnestly do not think, regardless of how good the Yankees performed in the regular season, I earnestly do not think that Aaron Boone did a good job. 
that was going to be my pick, but I guess for manager of the year, I'll just say I like that um, one writer took a look at the Rays and be like, eh, yeah, they're the Rays. They overperformed. I guess I'll just get toss Kevin Kasha uh, a third place a third vote. place vote. <laughs> just one singular pity third place vote. Uh, we'll briefly go over National League Manager of the Year because we've already gone, I feel, way too long on, on managers. Um, but yeah, this one came down to Buck Showalter, Dave Roberts, and Brian Snicker, but Sh- Buck Showalter uh, ran away with it. This one, obviously, I like because uh, we're Mets fans, and I do I did enjoy the season out of Buck. I feel like he is above all else. He probably wasn't making a lot of the moves moves, but I feel like he was in general like a vibes consultant more than anything yeah. like he kept the vibes up in the in the in the locker room you could feel that the players liked playing for him after every single win they would go up to him and hug him and you know mess around with him and stuff like that so they really did they, they really did like him and i feel like as a manager that's what you have to do first and foremost is be a guy that your teammate that your team can play for um a lot of stuff may get made out of this because they're the team that blew a 10 and a half game lead and then uh, you know, lost in the wild card. How will we give him a manager of the year award? But I think that talent wise, this Mets team was more of like a 92, 93 win team. And he got him to 101 wins and tied for first place in the NL East. So I got to give him respect for that. Um, but I, if I had to give something, I would say shout out to Rob Thompson for showing up halfway through the season and then getting to fifth. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah, fifth place in the manager of the year voting. I truly feel like he deserved it. He really turned around. He really helped him turn around that season. And uh, that's another case of just being a guy you wanted to play for because it seemed like nobody wanted to play for Joe Girardi and people actually wanted to play for Rob Thompson. So, yeah, I echo your sentiments. I think, you know, my my uh, case for this one was Rob Thompson. And I know you can't do it based on, you know, World Series because these don't factor in. These are just regular season, right? Yes. Um, They're not even so. The voting is done before the playoffs even start. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured. So I I know that's why he's not further ahead, you know. But I do think it's it's very um it's fun to know that you know now thinking that he uh, got to the World Series and was able to kind of enter a manager get some votes. I wonder how many times that's happened. You know, it feels like that's not a very major yeah, thing that I, happens i'd have to look that up but uh i'm not 100 percent sure know how you that. start <laughs> <laughs> moving on uh american league and national league rookie of the year now this one it maybe could have been a little tighter but i felt like it was going to be a runaway for julio rodriguez in the al so we don't have to go over that much but i would like to give a shout out to adley Rutschman. a great season really kind of catapulted that orioles team from a bad place when he came up in around may to as we just mentioned because of brandon hyde uh, you know, one of the better teams in the league and one of the biggest surprise stories in the league. Um, it's kind of funny seeing Jeremy Pena only get two votes, which I mean is understandable because he had a really good start to the year, got a little injured and struggled in the middle of the year and then picked it up by the end of the year. But it is funny given his playoff performance to see him that down, uh, that far down in the voting. Um, but I guess the real, uh, interesting vote was in the National League between Michael Harris the second and Spencer Strider, two teammates, which, you know, I'm sure you're not upset if you're either of them who won uh, in that regard. But I thought that I kind of thought that Spencer Strider would get this um, just because he was a up the whole season and b just showed dominance throughout the whole entire season. And Michael Harris was phenomenal on his own. 
in regards to that. And also, like Rutschman did, showing up a little later in the season and, and kind of, you know, helping them really piece together a lineup that was struggling early in the season and then came to be an 101-win team. But I don't know. I may have gone Strider with this, uh, but, you know, I'm not at all surprised to see a guy like Michael Harris the second winning and, and taking that home. Yeah, I just have a feeling, I just had a feeling like even going off of just in-season um, conversations and all that stuff, um, really feeling that Michael Harris was going to win this one no matter what, um, even though Spencer Strider was putting up, you know, God mode numbers and everything. I just feel like Michael Harris, it's it's kind of, and maybe it's unfair, but it's kind of that he plays center field, you know, yeah. he kind of put a spark into a lineup that really needed it. Um, he really helped them win their division, like those types of things. And not that Strider didn't help them win their division, but just one of those things I feel like Michael Harris was, it was his job to lose and he had to have really gone through a really cold streak in order to lose it. So, yeah. And both of those guys will get paid thirteen fifty an hour uh, for the next 25 years of their career um, because the Atlanta Braves is a money laundering scheme. Uh, but regardless to my next, to my favorite pick for this, I want to shout out O'Neill Cruz. Now I love O'Neill Cruz. I think it's hard not to love O'Neill Cruz, uh, just in, uh, in general, um, on the field. So I, but I picked him because I don't know, his season doesn't exactly scream third place vote to me. Now, obviously he has all the stat cast stuff, you know, breaking literally any stat cast thing you could imagine for a player. Uh, you know, throwing as hard as any player ever has on the field, hitting the ball literally harder than any player ever has on the field. Um, and he did finish with an above average OPS plus, but still like 107 OPS plus slash 233, 294, 450, and struck out 126 times. Um, it was just kind of funny to see him 120, 126 times in 87 games, uh, <laughs> mind you. So, I don't know. I think obviously it's a very fun pick and it's a third place vote. It doesn't really matter at that rate if you're just two people giving him a third place vote. But it's very funny because I wouldn't necessarily qualify O'Neill Cruz's season while it showed a lot of flashes of what he will become. Didn't necessarily strike me as a rookie of the year quality season. Yeah, on on that same uh, boat there, um, I I think that the funny one to me is Nick Lodolo. Not that, like, Nicoladolo was very good this year, but I'm pretty sure he was, like, hurt for a lot of the year. Um, and he, I just feel like he was just, like, good, you know? Yeah. And it's just, like, weird. It's it's kind of the, it's kind of the, the Kevin Cash thing we just talked about where it's, like, it's interesting to just toss him a few votes, you know? Like, uh, like. Like, it's just, it was just funny like that. So, I don't know. Good good on uh, Nick Lodolo and Alexis Diaz from Cincinnati to, to cash in and get some votes there. Nick Lodolo, great MLB The Show cards. I'll give him that. Maybe that's what, maybe a couple of voters got to play uh, with the Future Stars him. cards in the past couple of years and were impressed by him. Uh, but it's still a good season just for a team that maybe not a lot of people watched. Uh, now, on to the first unanimous, and I think only, uh, actually, no. The only voting thing with two unanimous winners, or I mean, I guess a unanimous winner at all, but regardless. So the Cy Young Award winning, which I mean, this one seemed pretty obvious that it was going to go to Sandy Alcantara. I mean, literally by any metric you could have sliced it down to, 
I don't think that you, you could have given yourself any reason to, while they had great seasons, I don't think you give yourself any reason to give any votes, any first place votes to Max Fried and, and Julio uh, Arias. But uh, just a phenomenal season in every way. He pitched uh, basically as many innings as you could for like a workhorse starter. He dominated for all of them. He threw a ton of complete games and, and complete game shutouts in an era where people don't really throw, if anything, even multiples of them. So this was just a, a classic throwback dominant season uh, that you probably will not see very often anymore. Yeah, no, it was a, a great season from Sandy. It was definitely one of those, again, him being in the NL East, it was always something where you're like, oh God, you know, are we going to hit Sandy on this road trip? Or are we going to do this? And I think the Mets even fared pretty well against him. Um, yeah, but there were but... like there were like five straight weeks where the they had a series against the Mets. And every single week I was praying that we dodged a Sandy start. And it's not like they have a pretty solid rotation. Jesus Lazardo is very good this year. Pablo Lopez kind of tapered off, but he's very good as a pitcher. So like they have a good rotation, but out of everybody there, it was like, please have Sandy start a game before ours does. So we don't have to deal with them again. Yeah. So I, I just, it's very interesting to see um, players that, you know, kind of instill that fear in you. Um, and Sandy definitely did that this year. Yeah. Uh, so my favorite vote for this one, um, I'll toss some love to Edwin Diaz getting a Cy Young vote. I love relievers getting Cy Young votes because like, it feels like it's got, we're never going to see another reliever win. It's just, even though the workloads are getting relatively similar, the only way you may ever see a reliever like win a, a vote is if, a, you start to get more analytically focused voters that do not care about stuff like, oh, we got a lot of saves. Let's give them the award. And B, it would have to be one of those like Andrew Miller fireman types where they're going to throw like maybe 90 to 100 innings in a season and dominate the whole way and have like an under one ERA. That's what we're talking about to even maybe finish as like a finalist for um Cy Young is a reliever now but yeah gone are the days of like Dennis Eckersley putting up a good but like doable season for a reliever and winning the Cy Young yeah no um it, it was really cool to see Edwin on this ballot also cool kind of in that vein to see uh Helsley on the ballot as well Ryan Helsley there um but mostly you know obviously bias there um it's really cool to see Edwin's name there so yeah, and then American League, I thought that this could have been a little bit more contentious between Dylan Cease and Justin Verlander, but I mean, I guess, you know, the storyline of, uh, you know, this guy that has coming off of TJ and, you know, not really knowing how much he would even play a factor in the season, just with how old he was, you know, coming up on 40 years old and also, you know, coming off of injuries. It was a shock to see Justin Verlander perform as well as he did with an under two ERA. Now, I'm afraid I've heard a lot of buzz of him, of the Mets being very interested in him giving him a Scherzer deal. That I am very much against because I'm sorry, I just don't see this like carrying over into another year or two or three. But regardless, it was still very fun to see Kate Upton's husband, Justin Verlander, uh, you know, ball out and get this award. Now, what I will take um, offense to is that I just can't believe that after the season he had, and I know he'll probably never contend for this award because of, you know, this, I guess, stigma, perceived stigma around two-way players, but, like, 
Shohei Otani probably could should have gotten a top three finish. He was that good on the mound this year and probably could have even contended to get a first place vote or two. But I don't know. I think that some people just like they don't see him as one way or the other. They don't see him as a hitter. They don't see him as a pitcher. And I think, well, actually, maybe more often than not, they see him more as a hitter than as a pitcher. Like the pitcher is just a throw in. But in all reality, that was where he was even better this year than he was last year. And better as he was better as a pitcher than he was as a hitter this year. I, I don't know. I think maybe I'm quibbling a little bit more, but I think you could have seen him in the top three. You should have seen him in the top three. Yeah, I I don't disagree. You know, I think that I think that it's it's just one of those you know generational otherworldly things that we're seeing, and you know you give him kind of a a one more vote in second, third, fourth, or something, and he probably you know kind of gets up there uh, to Manoa because he's only five points behind. Um, yeah, but I think my two choices for this one. Because these voters have to be uh, mostly out of New York, it feels. Because it's very funny that Garrett Cole got a vote, and even like Nestor Cortez. I know Cortez wasn't that was like pretty good this year, you know. Um, very good but this year. to get it's just funny to see um, those names kind of down the line getting votes. Um, yeah, I think Nestor deserves it more, but it's just funny to like see like see like Garrett Cole on there too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This ballot didn't really have any fun. There were no like relievers. Like, I mean, you probably could have thrown Emmanuel Classe a vote if he really wanted to. If you really wanted to get freaky and throw a reliever on your ballot, you could have gotten away with throwing Emmanuel Classe on there. But uh, regardless, I don't think that there was too many surprises there on that ballot. Um, which brings us to our final one, the the granddaddy of them all the one that really did not have any contest for the entire season. Like there was a lot of judge Otani stuff for MVP, but like, I, I don't know, really it felt like a foregone conclusion for a while that it was going to be judge, especially when he hit number 60. But um, actually I guess we'll, we'll start with the AL this time because that's the, that's the one story that everybody's going to go off of. Now in the lost uh, ball five episode, we did talk about who's going to win third place in the MVP. And I think both of us chose Jordan. So, good on us. We're very smart. Um, Woo! We made the obvious choice and picked Jordan Alvarez to finish third in MVP voting. Um, but I think that MVP, since the ballots are a lot bigger, you get a lot more favorite votes. And I think I just found my new favorite vote. Oh my goodness. I did not even see this when I pitched this idea to go over our favorite votes. But, um, uh, screw it. We'll just get right back. It's cool. Aaron Judge hit a lot of home runs cool i'll say he deserved the mvp we don't need to go that deep into it but yandy diaz got a ninth place vote for mvp yeah i'm even looking at this list too and seeing like sean murphy getting a vote too like good for good on now yandy diaz he did have a pretty good season if i remember correctly um but yandy diaz i feel like i need to repeat this of the tampa bay rays got a ninth place vote for mvp do you think he can get that framed? I think he should. I think he should find he should find the writer that that cast this ballot. Probably somebody from Tampa. Uh, he should find yeah, the writer was... that cast this ballot and like buy him something. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is gonna be. He had he had a very good season, but it's also it's very like good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like it's something that you'd be like, oh yeah, that's a pretty solid season. I yeah. I I wouldn't mind having him as the third baseman on my team, but like, what? 
Um, but yeah, there's nothing really else that maybe stands out. Luis Arias getting 12 total points is, is pretty cool, but whatever. Um, and then in the NL MVP, Paul Goldschmidt did take it away. This one kind of felt like a foregone conclusion, even though he started to slow down as the season went on and kind of really went into a slump. Based on how torrid he was in the beginning of the season, this kind of felt like it was over before it really started. Um, and honestly, good for Goldie. He's He's been on the you know fringes of a lot of MVP voting um, in a lot of great seasons he had with Arizona. So it's really cool to see him finally break through and, and you know, get a shot at winning MVP. So, uh, the one shot he's gotten. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's really cool. Love, love seeing that for Goldie, you know, uh, after coming up there. Um, if, if I can get into it, because I'm just looking at this list now, too, and this is very funny. Um Obviously, again, thinking about all the Mets that that did get votes, we have Starling, Edwin, um, or Starling, Marte, Edwin, Diaz, Jeff McNeil, uh, Francisco Lindor, and Pete Alonso. Um, that all got some votes and some. Pete Alonso even is... got a second place vote for MVP, which I find yeah. ki- I find kind of funny. That that one feels very forced. Like, yeah, yeah we can does. show him some love, but uh... <laughs> yeah, it's it's very funny, but. Daniel Bard got um a vote. He didn't even get a vote for Cy Young. He got a this vote for is, MVP. So this is why I pitched the idea. Is because I wanted to talk about Daniel Bard's MVP vote. I'm sure we're gonna get what a story. I'm sure we're gonna get a story about the writer that voted Daniel Bard for MVP, who did have a very good season. Uh yeah. he had a he had a very good season as a closer, especially in a place like Colorado. You know, that's not easy for especially, you know, uh, guys that throw a lot of heat that can, you know, easily be, you know, hit through that air in Colorado to put up an, a sub two ERA is phenomenal. And like, you know, the the whole story of this guy's comeback, he was out of the league for seven years, probably never thought he was going to throw again after, you know, his, his time with the Boston Red Sox, where once again, it was another kind of thing that like the Red Sox did a little bit with Andrew Miller. It was a guy that was really good as a reliever, really solid as a reliever. And then they said, hey, let's try, uh, you know, starting this guy. And then they tried pitching him as a starter. It didn't go well. And it kind of, I, you know, just looking at the stats, it kind of broke him for a little bit. And then now he's coming back. He came back in 2020. And that was, you know, just a cool story to see. And now by now he's getting an extension, which was also pretty funny um, <laughs> for Colorado to not extend Trevor Story or Nolan Arenado, but then extending guys like Ryan McMahon and, and Daniel Bard. But, you know, it's a cool story. It's very funny that a guy playing on the Colorado Rockies in the year of our Lord 2022 got an MVP vote. And if you had told somebody that a Colorado Rocky was going to get an MVP vote before the season, he's probably very low on the list of people you'd guess. But I, I do think it's a very fun story. This one goes kind of in the Ryan Tapera mold of MVP vote. But just, you know, a fun thing that this guy's always going to be able to talk about for the rest of his life. Oh, totally. I think him and Yandy Diaz are probably framing these. <laughs> they just print, printed the article and they're framing it. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for our awards coverage, um, which now we go on to a little bit of transaction news. Now, there there hasn't, like we said, there hasn't really been a lot, but uh, there's been a couple trades lately. I'm going to just briefly run over the two ones that really didn't, uh, you know, move much for me, I would say, 
and those are the Gio Urshela trade. Um, Gio Urshela got traded to the Los Angeles Angels. I do not fully remember, um, you know, who, who the return was for the Twins on that side. I believe it was just some, like, prospect pitcher um, or something to that effect. But this one, it's interesting in that I don't know what this means for the future of, like, uh, you know, a guy like Anthony Rendon, who has just been really struggling in his time in L.A., dealing with a lot of injuries and, and suspensions and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that it may spell the end of the real, you know, consistent starter, uh, Anthony Rendon time in, in L.A., but I think I think the Angels are dumb enough to say that they're going to make Gio Urshela their, full, their full-time shortstop. I would love to see that. Now I, I do think I do think this may be a uh, relatively smart move on their end. Um, I mean, they need another it's, bat. They need, it's they kind need, of like they need hitters. Oh yeah, I think it's kind of like putting in, you know, uh, like you said, maybe giving giving uh, Rendon a little bit of breathing space and and getting a a better uh, person over there to fill in that void. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's an it's an interesting little play on their end. I think it's actually it's a good baseball play. It can't be the only thing you do, you know. It's one of those yeah. trades. Unfortunately, Gio Urshela will never get to wear those new Twins uniforms. Mm-hmm. Sad day. Um, but I guess play with Shohei and Mike Trout. So yeah, I guess there's worse there's worse places to land. Your your punishment is getting to move from <laughs> Minnesota to Los Angeles. Um, so I guess that there are worse places to go, but the, uh, the other move that's a little bit more interesting is Kyle Lewis to the Arizona Diamondbacks for Cooper Hummel. Now, this one is interesting in that, you know, Kyle Lewis, uh, a incredibly talented guy, but has just been really injured for the last couple of years, been in and out of the lineup, won the rookie of the year in, in 2020 in the COVID shortened season over a guy like Luis Robert, who had a great season as well. Um, which, you know, just goes to show you the, the type of player that this guy was. Um, so I think that this is a good landing spot for him in a place that's kind of low stress right now. Uh, Arizona has a lot of bats, you know, a lot of really young guys that they're looking forward to developing and stuff like that. So I think that um, this is a good landing spot for him to really start to find himself. And the return that Seattle got was Cooper Hummel, a pretty, I guess, unheralded guy. He batted 176 for for the Diamondbacks but I mean he provides them a little bit more depth he can play a little outfield he can catch a little bit which you know especially after the Cal Rally news that we heard that he he was playing on a broken thumb for the last month or so of the season they might need they might want to get a little bit more depth behind the plate there so yeah I think that it's cool and overall it's a it's a fun landing spot for a guy like Kyle Lewis who play who's going to soon be playing in an outfield with you know a lot of talent they they have Alec Thomas over there um, they have Jake McCarthy who came off of a really good season. I was, I think I saw that he got a big, I believe it was a fourth place, um, vote for, for AL, for NL rookie of the year. He had a pretty good season. And then, you know, other guys like I know, uh, what's his name? Corbin Carroll is their big prospect over there. So yeah, he's just going to join a fun outfield. And I think that Arizona in the next couple of years could be a team that's sneaking up on that third wild card, but that's 
you know, the reason that, that the Mariners had to make this trade for to trade away Kyle Lewis was because they recently just traded for Teoscar Hernandez in exchange for Adam Mako and Eric Swanson. Now, I think that this is... Teoscar could easily, you know, just divulge into another just regular old power-hitting corner outfielder that can't really play a lot of defense. But, I mean, for what you gave up, a left-handed relieving prospect that's, you know, probably going to be whatever. And then Eric Swanson, who was great last year, but you got a lot of really good bullpen arms in that in that Seattle bullpen and have shown that you can develop arms like that. I think that this was a no-brainer for, for the Mariners. And I wish it would have been even more of a fl- uh, fleece because the original deal I was being discussed was Teoscar Hernandez for Chris Flexen. And that would have been a, a weird trade to see come across the timeline. 100% a weird trade. Um, no, I, I think it's a good, I think, uh, just going very briefly on the Kyle Lewis thing, I'm a big, you know, change in scenery type of person. And, and I do think that you're saying like, what you're saying is that it's, it's just a really good landing spot for him. And it's a good opportunity, um, for, for him to kind of just, uh, get reinvigorated a little bit and jump right back into it. Um, and I, I agree with the Teoscar thing. I think it's, a, I think it's one of those kind of like, it, it's, it's good to see the Mariners, um, go after players like this and, and see it does feel kind of weird um, that that was the trade that that was made you know it, it doesn't feel like um, that Toronto is really kind of getting something for this you know <laughs> I guess they're getting Eric Swanson too um, but uh, but it is an odd thing um, it almost feels like it's something where uh, Toronto knows that they're going to be doing something else, you know, in the way of maybe a Nimmo or something like that. And they're like, ah, we can just kind of get rid of this and then go there. But And speaking of that, you did mention Aaron Judge as a, as a sleeper candidate. I did mention <laughs> for, Aaron Judge. So. <laughs> for the Let's Blue Jays. So who knows? Maybe they might be going after him. I they think... listen to this pod. <laughs> I think that it's more of a... I think that they could be more into um, the Nemo play than the Judge play there, but I think that they're definitely clearing up money for something uh, that they got planned. And I think that Tay Oscar, as good of a player as he was and as good of a locker room presence as he was, it, probably more expendable for a piece than any of the other pieces that they have in that lineup. And, you know, regardless, it's going to be a good lineup without him or not. Um but yeah, I think it was just an interesting move. I like it for Seattle. Uh, I kind of wonder what they're going to do with Jesse Winker and Jared Kelnick now. Um, kind of puts them in an interesting spot where you have Julio Rodriguez. Um, who knows? Maybe you just hope that Jesse Winker is playing injured more often than not, and that's led to his struggles. And then you can still run him in left field, Teoscar in right, and then probably just let Mitch Haniger walk. Um, but yeah, I think that does it on the trades. And then today was the deadline for non-tender candidates. Now, this just means in uh, for players that are due for arbitration, you can either offer to tender them the arbitration deal or non-tender them and make them a free agent. And there's not really a lot of interesting candidates. You know, it's just for regular down-the-roster, you know, 40-man depth guys typically that, you know, you just non-tender and say, eh, we don't want to pay you the money that you're due, so you can just go be a free agent. But there were a couple interesting ones. Um... Luke Voigt for the Nationals, the biggest loser of the Juan Soto trade. He almost didn't have to go and got to stay in San Diego, but Eric Eric Hosmer said no to that, and he ended up a Washington National. 
for the rest of the season. So, I don't know. That could be a decent landing spot for Luke Voigt. He is he's still a power-hitting right-handed first baseman. I think there's still some value for that as, you know, if anything, depth for some decent teams. Now, the one that hits us a little close to home is Dom Smith. Um, yeah. You know, a player that really struggled within the last couple of years has not hit a homer since, like, July of 2021. And I can assure you, he did play MLB games since July of 2021. He just didn't have the power. But, you know, a, a top heralded prospect when it was basically him and Ahmed Rosario that were coming up in, in the mid-2010s for that team. And he showed a lot of flashes, was a really good guy that you could tell a lot of people loved. And a lot of fans loved him even when he was struggling on the field because he was just that good of a dude. And I think it led to them being, you know, it made it a little bit tougher decision than you want. But, I mean, sadly, as sad as it is, it was the right decision for the Mets there to, to, to let him go and try to find new ground somewhere. He's been clamoring for a trade for a little bit now just to kind of give him a, a change of scenery and a, and a, you know, chance for more playing time. But, yeah, I think it was just time. Yeah, I it was definitely just time. And, and it's one of those where it's like it's the right move um, for both parties, probably. You know, the Mets don't really have a place for him. Um, and he, you know, could do so much better somewhere else, maybe. So, um, sad to see him go, but hope the best for him. Absolutely. Um, before we get into the big fish, I do actually have a few. I'm looking at the list now, and I do actually have a few names, um, if you want to go, go through them. Sure. Or... So, um, now I understand that not all of these players are good, um, and and that there are but i do feel there are some interesting kind of maybe change of scenery people um i'm looking at i'm just gonna i'll just throw down the list and then you stop me when you find something interesting um brian anderson of the marlins i've always liked brian anderson i know he struggled last year um but i think that's an interesting one to not to see the marlins not go for him yeah Um, definitely i feel like he might have could have been a bit of a juice ball merchant um in those 2019 and 2020 seasons and injuries and other things things have kept them it's weird for a team that really does not have a lot of bats and a lot of offense whatsoever to just say bye to a guy but i mean i i can kind of see that yeah um going down furthermore we have the cincinnati reds um giving up on aristides aquino now i know he's not been good um but i, I had him on fantasy for like one. two months and it was, I don't know why it took that long for me to drop him. I'm not a good fantasy manager. Um, but yeah, it was, it was brutal. He, cause he, the one thing that you get Aristides Aquino for is his power. And then he didn't even hit a homer for a while. He yeah. was just striking out a ton, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it'd be cool to see if anybody can reclaim anything of what he had the first two months of his career in, in 2019. Yeah. That's what I mean. Uh, Garrett Hampson out of the Rockies. That's an interesting one. Um, a decent end Heimer, of the speed guy. Yeah. Uh, Heimer Candelario out of the Tigers. That's an interesting one, I think. Oh, I didn't hear um, about it. I'd be, I'd be all over that. I am a big Heimer Candelario guy. Maybe it's just yeah, because, he's a once again... Too, right? Or am I being yeah, crazy? Yeah. Once again, he's a guy that gets a decent amount of MLB The Show cards because they need to give out a finest for every team. And typically, he is the best player on a terrible Tigers team. So he's always a switch hitter that gets decent stats. So maybe that's why I have such a, a favorable view of Heimer. But yeah, I, I, I'd i love to give him a shot to have someone give him yeah. a shot. 
I just think there's a good, there's some good um, kind of, like I said, change of scenery guys down there. And that brings us to the biggest change of scenery candidate of all, um, which is one Cody Bellinger. Now, I did give the not-so-hot take on the last pod that Cody Bellinger has played his last game as a um, as a Los Angeles Dodger. And it, just to clarify, you know, non-tender does not mean that they cannot re-sign the guy. It just means that they'll have to re-sign him for less than he was owed in arbitration, which, I mean, Cody Bellinger was offered $18 million in arbitration. And if any team has the right to piss away uh, $18 million on a reclamation project, it is the Dodgers, so maybe it speaks to a little bit to why they did not decide to spend this $18 million, but I don't know, man. It's been done to death for, for a while now. Just how you know strange of a turn this has been for Cody Bellinger. You know, this is not an MVP that has just gradually gotten worse as, as time's gone on and he's gotten more injured. Now, he has been dealing with injuries, but like, this is a former MVP that turned into a 44 OPS plus hitter in 2021. Uh, like, genuinely one of the worst hitters in baseball. Like, point blank period last year. And that was just two years removed after putting up a uh, 1,035 OPS plus. I mean, OPS in, in 2019 and having just a phenomenal rookie season. Uh, not rookie season. A phenomenal MVP year at 23. So, I don't know. It's it's tough because you want to say that like oh it's it's Cody Bellinger you can easily bring that guy back out but like once again if I just mentioned if any team can piss away eighteen million dollars in a reclamation project it's the Dodgers if one team could fix a guy like this and find something in his swing to fix him you'd think it'd be the Dodgers yeah I don't know I it it, it feels crazy um like you're saying you know it's not just a gradual fall off this is a cliff. Yeah. Um, he, he just ran off and, and, you know, you kind of think like, oh, like you're saying, you know, so 2020 year, you know, COVID year right after the MVP. So maybe that kind of says something, but then 21 happens and then 22 happens and you're like, okay, this isn't great. Um, I, the thing is he's 27, you know, yeah. like I can't, I can't look at, and maybe it's just because I'm older. <laughs> than, than Cody Bellinger so I'm just like Jesus but like I just I, I I feel like it's like people some some players it's the whole Mike Trout effect where you know like these players uh Mike Trout kind of came up at that really young age and then you kind of see your Juan Soto's going out there and now Julio Rodriguez and people like that like it, it, it's just one of those things where you you look at this and then you're like ah these guys they're they're so good so young um, you got to wonder if maybe he can kind of, you know, strike, get catch lightning in a bottle again or so, or sorry, was his MVP year lightning in a bottle or, um, is he, does he need to kind of get back out there? Maybe you need to move him back to first. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird because he was, he's a very good center it's, fielder. It's right? weird. He's a phenomenal defender. Yeah. That's the one reason why the Dodgers had him out there, even though he was batting 165. Now they had they obviously still had the lineup pieces around him that him betting one sixty five didn't really mean shit, but also because he's truly a phenomenal defender, and it's crazy for a guy that was brought up as a first base prospect to be this good of a center fielder. But like, that's the reason why you could keep him. His bat's fallen off, but his glove, if anything, has improved of late. So I don't know. I think that virtually every team should be in on him. You gotta uh, think. 
I'm curious as to if he gets a one-year prove-it deal or if some team is going to give him like two or three years and just say, eh, well, we'll take you, we'll take you for the rest of, of your Arb years and, you know, just whatever. We'll, we'll see what we can do with them. Um, and that's the thing. Like, I'm trying to think of good landing spots for him, and I can't help but think of, like, literally everybody because I'm like, this is the 2019 MVP. If you can sign him and get anywhere close to that, then you hit on like the diamond of of free agency. Yeah. So, I think he's gonna have to live on the outskirts of playoff competition teams, you know. So like this could be a good Cleveland Guardians target, you know. This could be a good like like they you know the the types of teams that are uh can kind of take that hit well the guardians i don't know if they can take that hit with money that they want to spend um <laughs> yeah oh, but definitely like not. with the guy with the teams that can allow him to kind of play every day and see and see where uh where he can go like i don't think you're gonna see a yankees going after him or something like that because yeah. the yankees aren't gonna put him somewhere right right away you know um Maybe the Mets would go after him if they don't get Nimmo and they don't get Judge, but I don't, I don't know. Like I don't, like you're right. Like it's like it's hard to see a team not go for him. Um, but at the same rate, I think it's hard to see. You have to have a team that's willing to put him out there every day. Yeah, screw it. Put him in Colorado. That's I. Somebody did mention that because once again, because of his fielding, you know you. Colorado's dealt so long with this giant ass outfield and nobody that can physically even get close to patrolling. They've been playing Charlie Blackman in center for years um, and have seen the effects of it. So, you know, why not? Why not just get some guy that can get to every ball and, you know, hope he can hope he can hit with that. So I would definitely have him on the radar for that. Um, I think he strikes me as a West Coast guy. Uh, I think he strikes everybody as a West Coast guy. He looks about the most West Coast you could possibly be. Um so, honestly, I if I'm the Angels, why not? Yeah. You know, if if I'm the Angels, it's not like you're not going to be able to find at-bats for them. The team still sucks. So, yeah, no. <laughs> I, it, I think that you could definitely pitch yourself on him being, A, a corner outfielder, and then, B, when you want to finally, you know, have Mike Trout hit a corner, um, I, I think that you could at that point say hey we have cody bellinger let's let's just cool we get to replace one of the greatest center fielders of all time with one of the best defensive center fielders in the league yeah um no i i totally agree and i think the angels should be making you know kind of kind of uh shots like that and maybe maybe he is just one that needs to get a little bit out of the spotlight and move you know to anaheim or something like that um I don't know. I I hope the best for him. I wonder did does Boris have any uh, quips for him? Because he is a Boris. I didn't. I didn't I realize think, that. He I is think a Boris he felt guy. he felt so bad for Cody that he didn't even give him a pun. He just said hey, he's been battling injury. He's been playing injured, and even then showed how good of a. Do you want to try to come up with a Boris quip? There's no way I could. Ring the bell. He he he's the doorman to ring the bell. For your uh, team, I think I, I no. I think I got one, and That's I right. think that it's whoever is gonna whoever gets the chance to sign Cody Bellinger is gonna have a sweet life. Okay, okay. Uh, for for those, I know you're all laughing at home when you heard it, but I because the, the 
the objective of comedy is to explain the joke after you tell it. At least that's what I've learned. Um, it was a reference to the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Do you think that Scott and Boris then you can trade for Zach Greinke? Sweet life of Zach and Cody is absolutely. There's no way. I absolutely think that Scott Boris. If there's one thing that Scott Boris can do, it's surprise me. So <laughs> I think he's that... got his finger on the pulse. <laughs> you can't even say that. Sweet Life of Zack and Cody came out in like 2010. <laughs> mm. He's got his finger on the pulse of 10 years ago. Probably, to be honest with you. Um, so I think that does it for our actual baseball talk. Now, we're going to debut a segment that I thought of a while ago. And, you know, maybe this is uh, more relevant with the supposed demise of Twitter.com. But one of the greatest tweets of all time, typically, that you'll see trend every once in a while is the fact that, you know, dudes just love to sit around and remember some baseball, remember some athletes and remember some guys. Um, I think that, and I always say this, this is not gender exclusive. Anybody can remember some guys. You do not need to be uh, a guy to remember some guys. But we're two guys here to remember some guys. And that's what we're going to do. So with this segment, we're going to take somebody. Now, the general um, idea I've given for this is one or less all-star appearances. Um, so I think that that's what we're going to roll with. I'll make exceptions probably uh, to like a couple time all-stars because if they're, you know, I I will go back on anything I say. <laughs> so, but I think the one I'm going to start off with and I have this one because it was actually his birthday today that we're recording it november 18th his 60th birthday which is crazy because he only stopped pitching about a decade ago i'm talking about jamie moyer uh little jamie jamie moyer just such a long career began in 1986 retired in 2012 uh you know started his career at age 23 for the chicago cubs ended at a at age 49 for the colorado rockies um did he do well in either of those years? No. Had a 5-plus ERA in both of them. But to make 10 starts at 49 years old, and now this goes without saying that there have been people that have done this before. You know, Satchel Paige, uh, notably a phenomenal pitcher, and even came back when he was a little bit older and still pitched pretty well into his 50s and 60s. So obviously this has been done before, but like, I don't know. It, just looking at this guy's baseball reference page is is great because like he was never really an ace he did have an all-star season in 2003 with the mariners where he pitched to a 327 era and that was kind of his peak you know he had a couple you know mid threes low threes era seasons that are that are good but overall this is not like the makeup of a guy you'd think would that teams would keep giving contracts to to pitch for for 20 plus years like he has a couple of streaks here where he has multiple five ERA seasons followed by four, you know, mid to high fourth ERA seasons. And people still kept giving him contracts and trotting him out every fifth day. So, I mean, props to him. He's given up the most uh, home runs in MLB history with 522. Um, but, you know, uh, you, listen, to give up 522 home runs in MLB history, you got to be out there for a lot of innings. And he, he pitched a lot of them. 17,000 uh, 17, batters faced um, a grand total of 4,074 innings. So that is my first, the inaugural remembering of a guy. It is Jamie Moyer. 
Yeah, and it also looks like, I don't think enough can be said of this, he didn't play in 2011, and then he came back in 2012. I think I remember being some form of, like, not a publicity stunt, per se, but, like, it was something he made a big deal about, saying, like, no, I want to pitch at 49 years old, so I'm going to find a team that's going to give me a contract, and the Rockies were like, screw it, we're not doing anything right now. Yeah, but like you said, like, you say that and still got 10 games out of it. Like, that's that's a sizable amount, you know? That's like there there are people that don't get that, <laughs> don't get to, to go, don't pitch that much. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a cool, cool thing. I, I remember Jamie Moyer because he played for the Phillies in a lot of those years where I was a big Mets fan. Well, not big. I'm, I'm all, I've always been a big Mets fan, but he's straight um, from the faith in starting, recent years. <laughs> Uh, starting to uh, when I was starting to become a Mets fan in that 06, 07 range, um, he he was with the Phillies there, so um, I definitely saw a lot of him and and always found it funny because even then he was forty three years old, um, so it was just one of those one of those things. Um, it's just crazy. Like, you always hear the veteran crafty lefty, and that's yeah, definitely what he's, he's probably the ori- he's probably the inarguable. To be honest with yeah. you. Uh, I, my last thought on this is that a lot of times, um, you know, we play slow pitch softball, so we play with a lot of people around Jamie Moyer's age range, um, at least when he was playing in MLB baseball and to see some of those guys and, and how they perform physically. And then to watch Jamie Moyer, uh, to see Jamie Moyer that late into his career, it really does show you how phenomenal like shape athletes are in. Yep. All right, now my one quickly here is the, I'm trying to think of how I want to, how I want to do this. I'm just going to say it. It's fucking Tony Plush himself, Niger Morgan. Your favorite Um, player. I hated this guy. Uh, The big reason that I hated him was because um, it's, it's all fantasy reasons. Um, he, I had him in fantasy a few years and he just sucked for a few years. Um, but I do think it's funny cause he just randomly came out of nowhere and said, my name's Tony plush. So he gave him himself a nickname and then just did it. Just went off saying a completely different nickname than anything off of Niger Morgan, um, Tony plush. And he's one of those guys where it's just really funny. So he even had like a 42 stolen base season, 34 stolen base season. He hit 307 um one year. Like he's had some really good years. The only thing he's ever led the league in is caught stealing. <laughs> and he's led the league twice at Volume 17, 17 caught stealings. That was the year <laughs> that he stole 42 stolen bases. So he <laughs> went he made you know over 50 attempts and just got bricked in 17 of them and still stole 42 stolen bases i don't know right, volume that, shooter gotta put up the shots that's crazy that feels like uh if like billy hamilton came back in the league in two years and then just like literally just <laughs> ran um i think but the that'll never shame- happen because at least tony plush could hit 300 and Got on base. The so. biggest shame of this is that Tony Plush is not mentioned anywhere in his baseball reference page. When like that was the thing about him that he was the super energetic outfielder 
Um, oh, it's in his nicknames thing. It is? I, I'm i not seeing it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it was way down. I thought that it had it, like, in a parentheses near the top, but it's all the way down at the bottom. So, Oh, whoops. I see it at the top. But uh, Yeah, Tony, that's a great pick, uh, <laughs> honestly. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny to to give yourself a nickname and at least it wasn't a nickname like the one nickname i always remember somebody giving them themselves is when paul george called himself playoff p and i mean that's just it's an unforced error at that point because then you force yourself to be a meat which i guess as an athlete you're always trying to be amazing in the playoffs but like you're forcing yourself to not have to not put up a dud in the playoffs because if you give yourself a name like playoff p and then you lay a dud in the playoffs, which he has in recent years. Now I'm I'm happy for him because I know that he he talked about how some of that, uh, some of the backlash he got during his playoff performances put him in a rough place. So I'm happy that he was able to, to you know, move past that and get a lot better in the playoffs. But still, like, it's really just an unforced error to, to give yourself a nickname like Playoff P, and then just put up duds. It's insanity. <laughs> but uh, all right. So I think that that does it. Um. It is a little bit lighter of a news day. Hopefully soon we'll have more to talk about. I know the winter meetings are coming up, but we still somehow managed an hour or so out of this podcast, this episode. Uh, just goes to show you. We love talking. Called, called podcasting. <laughs> it works. Absolutely. So um, we hope you enjoyed. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess the big question, were you able to secure Taylor Swift tickets? Um, I know we weren't. So let us know. <laughs> <laughs> and then if anyone gives me $94,000, did you see some of those tickets? I don't know if they were fake, but there was like some tickets going for that much. I saw a couple for like 11 or 12k. Yeah. Maybe I I saw something crazy. Maybe. But um yeah, if if you want to join us on the uh on the final days of Twitter here, uh hit us up at ball5pod there or um or on Instagram at ball5pod as well. And then you can find me at LopeC16. I remembered it this time. <laughs> and in the final days of the hell site that is Twitter, I am at DJ underscore Lopes9. Or maybe DJ Lopes underscore 9. You can figure it out. You guys know how to type. Um, so yeah, that does it for episode 5 of Ball 5. We hope you enjoyed and uh, hope you have a great one. Peace out, everyone.